Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 27. It's always a special episode when I'm not just talking to myself, but I actually have a guest. One of my podcast goals is to bring you directly to the source, and that means it could be the source of scientific research or hearing directly from coffee producers. What I've found is that we usually hear about coffee from roasters or even people like me who work with coffee producers, but we're not producers ourselves. Often, we leave it to coffee professionals and educators to speak about coffee producers, but it's rare to hear directly from coffee producers about their motivations and challenges. And even when we do hear from them on their own social media channels, as you'll find from today's conversation, there's sometimes a hidden pressure to present a rosy version of reality. I'm very excited to share today's conversation with Mark from Finca Rosenheim in the Villa Rica region in Peru. I love Villa Rica, and I was there in 2017 and 2018, but I was visiting other clients. Mark is not a client. He's someone that I got to know through Patreon. Before you even hear him, you can tell he's a coffee producer who's committed to learning. As a patron, he makes a monthly pledge to help me make more episodes and keep information flowing. This conversation with Mark is an honest look at some of the challenges producers rarely get to talk about. I ask him about organic certifications, climate change, coffee competitions, crop diversifications, and we talk about what happens when markets can't rebalance themselves. Mark and I go a little bit dark when we talk about the future of coffee, but while the future seems bleak, we agree that it's not too late, and maybe more honest conversations like this can help turn things around and find new opportunities for producers and for buyers alike. All right, let's hear from Mark. One thing I wanted to ask you before we get started is that some of the things that you mentioned in our Patreon messages is that you feel um, kind of limited in what you're able to share uh, publicly because of all of the players that are involved. So I wanted to ask you if you wanted to do this interview um, a little bit more anonymously so that you could really speak honestly, or if you wanted to, you know, have your name, your company, all of that out there, like, where do you feel comfortable? Because I want you to be really honest about your feelings and your experience. <laughs> the I have. How, how about we record and then we decide between the two? Because I I do have opinions and I I have to control myself sometimes because I'm being just too negative, and mm-hmm. I have to go like um you know it's it's actually you can't go on blaming everyone or just the system and you have to like there are people that are having success in coffee so it's it's not that everyone's against you so you um i try to control myself like that and and it's going to probably come out during the interview that i'm just complaining and and i have to like i i have to see the the good side on, on things too like i have to appreciate that my situation is not that bad in the end But what I think is really important is that so much of this censoring of ourselves, it doesn't bring that awareness that I think a lot of consumers and just coffee lovers, I think a lot more people would care if they knew. And if producers aren't sharing their actual honest experiences, then how are other people supposed to know that that's the reality and be able to make different decisions? So that's my goal is to be able to give you an opportunity to share your experience, which is valid, you know, even if it is Mm -hmm. complaining, this is true for you, this is your reality. 
and you know what we can learn from some a part of the supply chain that we don't hear that much from i i i understand that the the thing is for me i like when i see something and i see for example a company or for for example i sent you a, a an instagram post that i like it really like annoyed me because i knew that uh -huh. this company is not very honest and that i've i've had dealings with them and i I see the reality of how they work and I see what they sell, but I cannot go and just point the finger because I, I would create enemies for myself. Yeah, I think that's, that's also an interesting conversation because I think something that's very positive about social media and Instagram specifically is the idea of accountability and that mm -hmm. we can hold each other accountable for things that we see and it so easily turns into blaming and finger pointing and just being very negative towards other people and so i don't think that we have quite uh figured out that balance between holding somebody accountable and then just trashing somebody else and i think that now we're so afraid that especially well some people are not some people are very happy to be negative and and call people out on the internet but i think for for myself as well and for you it it really holds us back and sometimes when we should say something we're afraid of being negative and we don't say something and i'm not sure that's better but i'm with you i don't know how to do it there's so many things that i see that make me crazy that i wish i could point out but like you said you just you don't want to go around hating everybody <laughs> making yeah. enemies everywhere And and for many people, this is their livelihood, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and many people de depend on this, and it's like you're you're messing with the way they make their money and they make their livelihood, and and they take it really personally. I think that's a really good point. It's like we're all trusting the system, which is very it's like very delicately balanced. I'm just imagining kind of like a there's a game here called Jenga and you have all of these little wooden blocks and you're just mm -hmm. stacking this tower higher and higher and you're trying to be really careful. And that's kind of my visual for the coffee industry where we have all of these elements Not only do you have all of these different parties, but like you're saying, certifications and competitions and all of the, the words that we're supposed to say, and they're all balanced really carefully. And you're right. It's like if you question one of them, you almost have to question all of them. And then the whole tower can fall down. And that's just too, it can be too much for a lot of people where you're just like, I don't even want to go there. I know that I should look at this, but if I do, it's going to go down a rabbit hole. And so kind of this, and I think that's part of the problem is a system is like kind of self-protecting that way sort of saying like well it's too complicated don't worry about it like just keep keep moving forward and it's like a, a way for it to preserve the dysfunction you you know how i see it i i see the system like the 2008 financial crisis in the us where mm -hmm. everything was like the the products and these loans were all certified by the same interests that were working for the banks and everybody was just per perpetuating the same system and those certifies were just everything was just built on top of the other and at some point everything crashed i was wondering mm -hmm. yesterday like at some point in the coffee industry will this crash will will the the trust that has been building like fall and i i think that's probably already happening like i i don't hear that much about uh organic coffee being the best coffee nowadays right because everybody knows well that doesn't necessarily mean That's the best coffee. And I keep hearing more about direct trade being better than these fair trade certifications, for example, right? So I think 
that mm -hmm. there are people that getting conscious that the, the whole system is just kind of <laughs> breaking down. I agree. And I think that um, a little bit more pressure that the financial crisis maybe didn't face is that there's a climate pressure. And so I think that coffee is going to feel it from both angles, either just from the market collapsing these financial institutions because it's unsustainable to grow coffee at a loss for mm -hmm. decades. Um, but on top of that, I think that having the, the change in climate and having producers have fewer choices of where they can grow coffee and having uh, more susceptibility to disease and other issues like that is going to force this issue much more quickly. So I, th I really believe that it's inevitable. And I just I'm waiting for more people to wake up to that. I, I, I am one of those that is on that situation, right, that you described that they're feeling the, the climate change. And I'm already like, seeing if it's sustainable. I uh, it's it's I'm quite disillusioned with with coffee. Oh, I wanted to ask, Finca Rosenheim is not a very Spanish name. Where does that come from? <laughs> I, ju I was just answering that on, on Facebook. Somebody from Bavaria wrote me and said, we well, just tried your coffee. And it's like, I wanted to know if you had some connection with, with Rosenheim, right? The city in Germany. And uh -huh. this, well, you've been to Villarica and this whole area was uh, settled by Austrian and German descent, uh, people, right? That, this mm -hmm. started in the mid 1800s. And the people that eventually, like, like, I don't know, founded this or made this estate, created this uh -huh. estate, they were originally from uh, Rosenheim in Germany. Okay. But, uh, of course, there's, there's been a lot of problems here. In the 80s, we had a, a lot of terrorism. Um, and we had a lot of problems and, and economic strife. So many people left. Many of the, the settlers, the original settlers' families, left uh, the German descendants. And this, so the people that own this place are now in Santa Cruz in Bolivia, for example. And they sold that to my parents. But we are also a German-Swiss descendant family. Like, I'm already third generation. And my mom's name was Rosa. So we said, well, we'll keep the name. We really like the name. So, so we stuck with it. Okay, that's awesome. But you were born in Peru. I was born in Peru. My father was born in Peru. My So my father's mom was already born in Peru, but she married a Swiss guy. And my mom was born in Germany, but came when she was very young to Peru. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite Peruvian. <laughs> but you grew up speaking English? Uh, no, no. I, I grew up in Peru, a little bit in Guatemala, and uh, then I went two years to Germany to study. Okay, so you didn't grow up speaking English as well, because your English is, is flawless. Well, my, my dad used to work with Americans, and in Guatemala, everything in the TV was in, in English. So I I kind of, like, I think more in English, I think. I, I It, it's still hard to come up with the words, but my friends actually make fun of my Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you got involved in 2012. Yes. So this is, I don't know, this is, I don't know if it's too personal, but my parents got divorced and my mother decided to keep the farm and I came with her like, yeah, we're going to keep it. We're going to buy it for my dad. And 
And that's when I started like managing the farm in 2012. Okay. And how big is the farm? It's, it's very big. It's like 150 hectares, but we only have, right now we have 40 uh, coffee hectares, like a plantation of 40 hectares. And what varieties do you have planted? We have a lot of catimor, and we have caturra, and we have some tipica, and we have some bourbon. Uh, but mostly it's catimor, especially after the roya. I like I extended the the plantation by nine hectares of pure catimor. But we used our own catimor, right? The, the the plants that were producing the best coffee in the farm, and that's what we used. So do you have your own nursery? Yes, we, we have our own nursery. And actually, my job from Lima is to sell nursery equipment. So we do our own nursery. Tell me, something that I was also very curious about was, you mentioned the Cup of Excellence in Peru. Was that the first year, 2019? No, no. Actually, it's it was the third year, and they're going to do another one this year. Okay. And have you participated in all three years? No. Last year, I sent a sample, but it didn't get pre-selected or anything. So what was your experience with the Cup of Excellence? Um, so my coffee that I normally produce is goes to around 84 uh, in cupping. I hate to call that cupping score. And mm-hmm. it, it for me, it's great because after the Roya, we lost a lot of our uh, caturras. So it's been like a challenge to get our coffee, like or a regular coffee, for to eighty four, and in cup of excellence they just start like accepting from eighty six to eighty seven upwards, right? So, mm-hmm. but you also have to have like a sufficient amount of coffee. Like you cannot just give a sample because you did an experiment and it tasted great. So you have to give them uh, a certain amount of coffee. I think it's like four hundred kilos of parchment coffee uh, that you have to, you give them the sample. If they like it, you have to give them that. You ha- I have to send it all the way to Lima where they will keep it and they will like test it. And from there, they will take the samples and do the the next cuppings, right? For the contest. So it, for me to have that much coffee that, that would get to 86, that, that was really hard. So how did you make that lot that, that you submitted? I actually submitted um, <laughs> just regular coffee. <laughs> I, I I have a very high opinion of my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what was your process? Was it a, a washed? Yes. Um, we do, like, we normally do washed, and then we ferment or, well, we dissimulate. You, you used a very interesting <laughs> word. But I do, I do like to use fermenting because I, I did some tri- trials um, two years ago, and what what the best that came out was just submerged for two days, right? So uh, we process it at night, and then it spends a whole day uh, submerged. We mm-hmm. change the water if it's too hot, and then we at the next day we wash it and then we dry it. So what temperature would be too hot? So I try to keep it below 25 degrees okay which is possible here because it re- gets really cold at nights and we're we're high up we're 1600 meters above sea level 
So it's it's easy to keep the, the temperature checked. And the water that we use is really cold. And does it come from a spring, a river? Yes, it comes from a spring that water? we have here. It's a spring that we have here in the farm. Actually, where my farm is right now, we have a lot of water everywhere. We have like streams running everywhere. We don't have any stones. So all our roads are really hard to maintain, <laughs> but we really like lack, don't lack any water. Okay. So this is, this is stuff that I really like to know. And this is what I think about when I'm designing a fermentation is looking at the, the natural resources. So you have a lot mm -hmm. of water, you have very cool nights. Mm -hmm. um, what about, okay. And then you do a two day submerged fermentation. Yes. Sometimes you change the water. Do you always change the water? Um, lately we've been always changing the water. I, I don't want to risk that bad, bad flavors come out. So I, I change, mm -hmm. change, change the water just to be safe. Um, and then we dry it and we dry it. We dry everything with, uh, drum dryers and, I actually think they're better than sun drying because I can control it better. And especially here where we are, sun drying is just uh, very slow. <laughs> and then from these drum dryers, we get a, a lot, right? So each drum dryer is one lot. And then those are controlled for quality. And that's why I presented, like, I, I the best one, that's the one I gave to Cup of Excellence. Awesome. So how was the rest of your experience with that system? Like, what are Cup your opinions excellence? about Cup of Excellence? Yeah, coming to Peru. Do you think that it's helping producers? Do you, when you talk to your neighbors, is it a positive thing? When I talked with my neighbors that had already participated in 2018, one was really like annoyed. And this is what also... Like I wasn't even sure if like I would get pre-selected because I knew I didn't have like a 92 uh, score coffee, right? So this neighbor was really the solution because they said, well, I didn't win and they processed my coffee. They charged me a lot for that process, more than what I pay here. It's all the way in Lima and they offered to buy to buy it for nothing. So I, I like he was, he was angry and said, I asked them to return it. So he had to pay all the way to give it to Lima to get it to get it processed and then to get it back so he, he wasn't that happy and that's what like I saw that they also commission on all the prices and I said well that that's I don't I don't have a 92 score coffee I'm not gonna win I'm not gonna mm -hmm. get one of those huge checks right that they sell <laughs> they, they show and so it's it's not really for me yeah I think that's one of the things that um you know, when I've talked to people who put on Cup of Excellence, or even when I talked to George Howell about it, they have this idea that it's free to participate, right? They don't charge you to participate, but we forget mm -hmm. about the cost of moving coffee and the cost of not having that coffee. And then maybe the cost, like you just said, of getting that coffee back. So mm -hmm. to me, it sounds like unless you are one of the 30 producers that wins, uh, it can be a way to lose money. Yes. And, and not only lose money, but probably the best coffee yet that you have, right? And you're going to have to sell it there. Right, right. You're kind of giving up. So even though 
it is presented as a way to help producers and to highlight good lots in, in, in theory, which is a really nice theory. But in practice, what I'm seeing, and you're not the first producer to tell me this, is that it's still a risky thing for a producer to participate, either because yes. you are giving up a really good lot of coffee or because you are um, losing some money in terms of the transportation. And so mm-hmm. I think that this is something that I really want to bring attention to because all of the people that I hear sing the praises of Cup of Excellence are the people who taste, who work for them, <laughs> who taste mm-hmm. the coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, but when I talk to everyday producers, they're not really benefiting. And so there's just this disconnect where the voice is saying Cup of Excellence is helping producers. And then I talk to producers and they're like, well, eh, not really. They're not really helping me yeah. that much. That, you you have to be, as a coffee drinker or buyer or roaster, you have to be careful with all these uh contest right now not, not only cup of excellence but on the last years here in peru there's been a, like an explosion of contests so i i tried to participate one that was arranged by the municipality here in Villarrica, and i i wasn't even like told exactly when to get my coffee there and the people that ended up winning were people that work in the municipality <laughs> so it's a you have to be careful. They're not very transparent always. And and you have to see who, who controls them, right? So here in, in Peru, for example, most of the exporters, the ones that buy coffee in like in zones like where I am or in the north or in Cusco, they buy coffee and then they take it to Lima, they process it, and then they export it. And these people uh, have to protect themselves, right? They they cannot let the the roasters meet the producers so Mm -hmm. for example we had a we had a huge event here in in Villarrica which was called Picafe and they were bringing with the help from the government and everything and they were bringing uh roasters from from the U.S. from Europe and the idea was to bring them all the way to Villarrica to to do a cupping competition and and like have a contest but the the funny thing is they ended up doing it in Lima. So the, the people that came from, you know, from overseas never came to the Via Rica. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they, they're like protecting that, that the direct trade is not made because, of course, that would render them irrelevant, right? So that's... Uh. I think there's a lot of tension in the industry because it's such a long chain of you know, potentially a coffee grower and then a coffee producer. And then maybe there's um, uh, a coyote or somebody who aggregates that coffee. And then you have the exporter and the importer. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other steps in between those, but these are like the big ones. So it's like a very long chain of of what it takes to get a coffee, you know, from the farm to a, to a roaster, to a cafe, to a final consumer's cup. And so Mm -hmm. the system has built in a lot of middlemen, a lot of people who connect one part of the chain to the other. And the movement right now, the tension in specialty coffee is direct trade and to have vertical integration and to that have that connection. But the system is really resistant to that because that like there's um I think we just when we talk about direct trade, we forget that there's so many people who don't want that to work and who don't who mm-hmm. don't profit from that working. And there's a tension between the, the producer and the consumer. Yes, and they're not very subtle about that sometimes. And you have to think about this: this low prices right now 
the people that buy and sell, they're not really a, that much affected by that. So they just get their commission, right? So they're still moving a lot of coffee and they're, they're getting like 10 cents for each each kilo they get. So they, they're not affected by the low prices. They will not get their commissions smaller. And it's, it's, it's mainly affecting uh, producers, farmers. Exactly, because you're you're doing making coffee below the cost of production, but then everybody else in in the supply chain benefits mm-hmm. from more volume. So they're pushing <laughs> producers to make more coffee below the cost of production, so that they can get, like you said, their commission or to just fill quotas. And mm-hmm. so, like, I guess what I, what I would really like people who love coffee to understand is that it's such a deep entrenched system that doesn't it, like it really resists changing at, at every point along the chain. And so when we're talking about competitions or celebrating farmers or uh, even direct trade, that is like a really tiny part of the whole system. And and if we don't talk about the other parts, we're getting a very inaccurate picture of coffee. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about, you also told me that you made uh, a natural, even though oh, yeah. you traditionally... <laughs> make washed coffees so why did you do that so i i have a lot of catimor right and and this is a coffee that has a a lot of uh pulp it's it's really big cherries and there's a lot of pulp in them and every time i because i pay per kilo that is harvested right harvesting is like the biggest expense because it's hand-picked so i pay per kilo when it's harvested and i pay a lot of pulp (laughs) <laughs> which is the pulp, and then I throw it away, and then I just uh, keep the seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking, okay, I have so much pulp. What about just doing naturals and taking advantage of all that pulp? That must have a lot of flavor, and just trying out naturals. But it was it, it was really hard. It's really hard to do. I again, I don't have infrastructure. Like I don't have very nice and big uh, sun dryers. I built mm-hmm. a, a I built a sun dryer with bamboos and some some plastic that that we had. I just actually I just put a roof on top of my my raised beds, and we tried doing naturals. And it it took so much to, so much time to dry. It was it was it was frustrating. And and it n- not only that, but you want to taste them, right? You want to see if it came out okay. And and you have to wait all like at least two months for it to dry and then you get to taste it and then you get to choose, okay, should I do more? Should I not? Well, the thing is it came out great. I really, I really liked it. I had tried doing naturals before with uh caturra mostly and I, and I didn't like the taste personally. I think it was too flowery. So mm-hmm. these catimors, they came out great. They were really sweet. And well, I, I, I was probably dumb and I took the chance and, and had it all uh, made into green coffee. So I had to, how do you say, from parchment? Well, it's not really parchment, right? It's just all dry. And you have to, mm-hmm. to take so it all the way milled. to. I had it milled, yes, and selected. And then I had it in grain pro bags. And I'm not a salesman. And I had, I had like sample bags made and I took it all the way to Lima, but I never got to give it to much people, to many people. And so I... Right now, I have uh, like 180 kilos of natural from last year that I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> oh no! So you still have it? 
and I still have it. I paid a lot of money to get it milled, and it it was really costly to to do. And I I I don't know how to, who to sell it because nobody would also like acknowledge the extra costs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what to do. I probably just try to sell it to a like a reseller, so it's a loss. Yeah, I think another thing that um, you often don't think about, like you mentioned, with a new process, like doing the dry process, you had to wait two months to be able to get any feedback and to say, like, Mm -hmm. is this working? Do I like it? Should I do more of it? Whereas something that I really like about washed is that you have like you had two days, right? Like two days Mm -hmm. of fermentation and then you can start drying. And it's a much more like quick feedback system that I think works better for, for producers, especially because. And I think a lot of people who, uh, roasters or even consumers who like natural or who like that profile and want to have that from other places, don't think about the origin of this, this type of processing coffee, where it was in Africa, where there's a lot of sunshine and yes. a lot of space and not a lot of water. And so that was the most appropriate method for there. But for you in Peru, like you said, not only do you have this very um, you know, steep elevation, so you don't have like large flat plains where you can mm-hmm. make these beds, but you have a lot of water. So that's not something that you have to, you know, work around. Um, and you have that cool night and it's difficult to dry. And so I think a lot of the times we just think about the process in terms of the flavor that it yields for the coffee and don't think about where the process came from. And like, is it appropriate for certain places in the world? <laughs> yes. And uh, especially the, the gap that you take where you can really like taste the coffee and decide, okay, I'm going to do more of this. You're already advancing in the harvest. So you probably can like, okay, from this lot here, I'm going to do this process, but then you'll have to wait till you go again with all the harvesters into that lot. And if you don't do it by then, then, well, it's, you can take that decision. You can make that decision fast enough. (laughs) And I think that this is like this coffee that you have left over that you were not able to sell because you are not a salesperson because you're a producer. Like you don't have to wear all of the hats, you know, like we're expecting everybody to be everything. The goal of a lot of these competitions is to find buyers so that, so that you don't have to be a salesperson. So like they're trying to help connect, right. The final consumer to the producer. And I think like, Mm -hmm. again, like it's a really great idea and obviously it's necessary, um, but it's not necessarily working out the way that was intended. And I think that it's less important now that we have social media and coffee producers can um, try to reach a broader audience. Like before Facebook, before Instagram, it was mm-hmm. you know, very difficult for a coffee producer in any part of the world to connect with a roaster in the other side of the world and say, hey, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. This is the kind of coffee that I have and to start a relationship. So I'm curious how this like the advent of social media can help producers kind of make some of those relationships themselves. Have you, how do you use social media? Um, so I, I mostly export my coffee and I export it to a reseller in Hamburg, right? So he has customers that buy my coffee. And the idea was since they're already buying it with my brand and some people go like, Oh, Rosenheim coffee. Oh, it's interesting. And they want to know more. The idea was, that these customers ask my client by name for my coffee. And that's the purpose of my social media is to let people know, hey, 
maybe it's not direct trade, but you can still know where the coffee comes from, how we do it, like what are our challenges and and about this coffee that you're drinking. And, and the idea is, okay, roasters can can know about us and then they can tell the, the final cons- consumer, right? The, the one that drinks the coffee, hey, by the way, this coffee that you're drinking right now comes from from Villarica, right? From Finca Rosenheim. And they can then show social media to them and it kind of like completes the, the cycle and the final consumer will be closer to the producer, which is the best for us, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in your situation where you said you, you've already sold your coffee to this intermediary, anything that you do on social media seems to benefit that part of the chain more than it benefits you because your coffee's already sold. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. But um, I I do want um, the roasters that, that later will buy it from our customer. I do want them to, to ask for for Finca Rosa and coffee, coffee. And the idea is for me, I can then negotiate a better price, which I'm also bad at doing. <laughs> but but I can negotiate a better price with my client because he knows that he will be able to sell it. Right. So the, the value of the value add that you have by having this reputation, by having this this brand that's your own brand, mm-hmm. that you know that people are asking for your coffee so have you been able to negotiate a better price i'm not sure i'm i'm i actually have to do it these days and and i'm so nervous about it i i'm like trying to get data and i'm doing all my my costs for so just to justify it but the thing is everybody they 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 all use the the market right and if the market is low, then it's not their fault. <laughs> it's just how it is. And they can say, well, it's I'm competing with everyone else, right? I'm competing with Brazil that have machines that harvest. I'm competing with Colombia that has the government that supports the farmers. But I, it's not their fault. So it's hard to negotiate <laughs> all that. So my my thing is that I'm going to... I'm producing this coffee and people will know where it's coming from and people will, will identify it as the brand. So I'm kind of just working on my brand. But not only that, Lucia, I, I also try to, I'm very happy working with this client and he's working in Europe. So I wouldn't mind when I do social media, I wouldn't mind people from the United States, for example, if they want to do direct trade, right? It could be a great way to connect with a roaster that wants to do direct trade or somebody in Asia, right? It's could work, could also work like that. And I'm open to that. You know, I think this is really interesting and, and something that I think a lot of people don't consider that is, I think, unique or not unique to coffee, but different in coffee than a lot of other products is that when you, the producer who owns the land, you process the coffee and then you have to sell the coffee. When you think about what that coffee is worth or what you need to charge for that coffee, the the question isn't just what is your cost of production you have to factor in well what is brazil doing and what is the market mm-hmm. in new york doing and you know what are your neighbors doing and you have all of these external factors that go into your price um whereas like for example for me when i'm going to consult somewhere i i just have to think about 
what it costs for me to do that. So I'm like, okay, how much do I pay for rent? What do I need to eat and survive? What do I need to pay, you know, this type of insurance? And then that's how I set my prices. And it's all 100% internal of like what I need to be able to do what I do. And I just think it's so interesting that I think a lot of people don't realize coffee producers are always thinking about external factors and you don't have the, the luxury to only think about your own cost of production and then what you would like your profit to be. Yes. And especially, for example, these years that the, the, the prices have just gone down and down and down. And I'm all, every year I'm just trying to bring my, my, my expenses, my costs down. But at some point it, it cannot go lower because everything is um, just, uh, how do you say this? The, the hand pickers and the, the personnel that works all year round here in the farm. So it, it goes to, okay, you don't make any investments, you lower your maintenance, you, you don't buy that machine that you wanted to buy, and you don't do, like, you keep your roads uh, all muddy and you don't repair them. But at some point, it's year after year, and you cannot just, it, it, it's a spiral that goes down, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, I cannot be angry about that because it's, that's just the markets, right? So the markets will... Make it efficient and people that cannot produce anymore. And I'm seeing it here in Villarrica, for example. So many farmers just abandoning their coffee and so many farmers losing their, their, their fincas to the banks because nobody can pay it. Or, or myself, that I'm just every year going like bigger in debt with the bank. And, and I say, okay, that's the market. But it's just how can I break free from that? How can I not think anymore? Okay. Um, for example, I have, okay, I can sell my coffee for this price for the next three years. Excellent. Then I know what, what can I, what can I do? Where can I spend? Um, should I expand the area or not? But right now it's a lot of uh, uncertainty and uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's frustrating. So do you grow any other crops? <laughs> when, when I started here in 2012, there, there were other stuff in the farm because we have a lot of space. But I, I said, okay, um, I'm going to focus on coffee and I'm going to do it right. And by the, at that time, we just had 2011 where prices were above 300. <laughs> so coffee was, was showing promise. And I was very dumb because I didn't listen to other people that are coffee growers here in the area that were really nice to me and, and really helped me you know, get into the world of coffee. But they said, don't do coffee. Do trees, do reforestation, don't do coffee. You're crazy. That's not going to work. And every year I was like, okay, no, I'm going to just do it right. I'm going to, you know, uh, our plantations were a little bit in, in a mess. So I had to bring them up. And then 2018 came and I had the biggest production and all the work that we've done was so good. And like, I was really proud about myself and, and the, the people I work with because we, we really got to have a lot of production and we really improved the plantations. But then the price was nothing. So, so it was no reward. It was just uh, all the work you did is for nothing. And now to do something else because this is not going to improve. And every year is like, yeah, next year will be better. Next year will be better. So no, I didn't do other things. And I actually abandoned some other ones. And so since last year, I'm already reforestating and I'm trying new crops right now. And I'm already, again, like losing production because I wasn't able to invest. And I have to, so now I have to recuperate and I have to, again, have defensive strategies and like consolidate and just, I'm going to be having to abandon some lots. 
because they're not productive enough and concentrate on on the best ones. And I'm 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 thinking about how can I escape coffee because you cannot just stop producing, right? You cannot just oh I'm not gonna harvest next year because you already spend so much money and you already have you have to pay that money back and you have to so you have to continue. It's a, it's a cycle. But I am looking at my options and I am with this hope again <laughs> of just, you know, ex- escape coffee. I have to do something else. I have to I have to get out of this and I'll, I'll, I'll continue doing coffee. Uh, I'll focus on my quality and I focus to just be specialty and and getting better, better uh, cupping scores. But it's not going to be sustainable, especially in the future where, you know, personal prices. Uh, how do you call this? Handwork? Mano de obra? Oh, labor. Labor is just going to go up. And yeah. and every year there's less harvesters. And it's just more expensive to, to harvest the coffee than climate change. Yeah. I do, So do you, if there was a, a new young guy coming into into your area who wanted to plant coffee, would you give him the same advice that they gave you? <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> but but I would I I would still recognize that I've seen uh, I see other neighbors, right? And I see people in my area and the ones that are doing fine are the ones that really got to work on their brand, have someone that is good at marketing, that have these international connections and so th- I don't want to be negative and say there's no chance in coffee. But the thing is, if you're just going to do it and be like the rest, then you're going to fail and you'll probably do fine a couple of years. But then there's going to be a bigger company that will do coffee for cheaper. And we're already seeing in this in the area, right? So big money from from overseas comes and they just want to start planting 500 hectares of coffee. And they got the money for that. And they got the people for that. And they will be able to pay more than than you will be able to pay your harvester. So it's going to be less harvesters. So yeah, if you're going to do like everyone else, don't do it. Try to be special. I think that's, that's really good advice. And I also try to give that advice to any of my clients, um, you know, people that are asking for my opinion and paying for my opinion um, is to say, get out of coffee. Uh, I really don't <laughs> like plant something else. I'm like, plant cacao, like do anything yeah. else. <laughs> Well, actually, cacao, the same happened with cacao. And and that's also what what do you do if you have, let's say, 10 hectares, right? What can you plant that somebody else will not be able to plant uh, 200 or 300 hectares? And you can, you know, do, do your costs and still get your money back, right? Get Make profit. What can you do? And that's hard to make. So, for example, here, everybody was doing avocado, avocado mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And but now avocado is also going low because many people are more people are producing it. And the same happened with cacao. For example, my dad went to make cacao and the 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 prices crashed. <laughs> so he had to actually close his whole operation. Oh, wow. I'm curious, though, with uh, what I like about avocados is that there's no processing. Like you're not losing any money on having that equipment to like with coffee all of mm-hmm. the specialized machine to process it and get it to be green and exportable. An avocado, mm-hmm. unless I'm missing something, is you grow it and then that entire fruit is is shipped out. I, I think avocado is very technical and the people that do it have to be professionals or you have at least to work with professionals. But I already saw um, 
one project in in a in a town near us that has already closed because they they were growing in in the coast where they can control everything, <laughs> but they try to do it here to have uh, production off season, right? But I I think it they just closed because it was it was not working. So I have I have a thought or a theory that is very, I think, unpopular and subversive. And I just want to ask you about it because you're actually a producer. Like, I'm just having these thought experiments, you know, and, and I don't have any any um, consequences because I don't own a farm. So it's very mm-hmm. easy for me to just have ideas. Um, but one of those ideas is I'm seeing so much effort put into new varieties of coffee that are more disease resistant and that are more... Um, resilient and maybe potentially different flavors to combat the fact that coffee right now has very little genetic diversity. It's very susceptible to a lot of things. It's a very vulnerable plant for how important Mm -hmm. it is. And so I think that work is important because we do have a very vulnerable, important crop, but I feel like there would be more benefit to producers to, instead of spending all of those millions of dollars in research and development of new varieties, because that doesn't really address the issue. Like it doesn't, like planting a new variety doesn't address the issue that prices are below the cost of production and that there's this really long chain and a very unsustainable system and it's very difficult for the producer. So I just feel like it's not really helping. Whereas if you took those millions of dollars and just tried to develop a program to tell producers, okay, instead of growing coffee, grow, you know, maybe these other list of of products of, uh, of fruit. What do you think about I, I that? I totally agree. I, I agree with you. And it, we now see it, for example, the, the municipality here, they, they always try again to do uh, nurseries and they give coffee plants to everyone and they bring this new variety and this new uh, extra productive one. But Everyone's just why don't they actually do something else? <laughs> why don't they right, like why keep growing coffee? And I think that this is like you said, you're being very honest with me. I'm being honest with you, so there are things that may not make it into the final podcast. But I, I think <laughs> that I think that I don't know if coffee deserves to be saved. I think that it's you know, it's a colonial system. It's meant to extract. It requires a lot of a lot of labor it requires a lot of people it, to be it oppressed. is totally it is totally a colonial system and when i when i think that i i buy like now my machines i was i was repairing some chainsaws right what what are they they're still so still is a german company <laughs> and all the fertilizer that i buy comes from europe <laughs> so if, like it's i i just get to pay my my workers and then everything else i invest just goes overseas so mm-hmm. sometimes i i like when I export my coffee, I keep dollars because there's so much stuff that I buy with dollars. <laughs> and so it's, 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 um, and when I think, oh yeah, but why don't I export my coffee already roasted to Germany, for example? Well, they want to protect their roasters, of course. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's, it's rigged. It, it, it's, it's completely rigged. It's, uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to be part of it anymore. <laughs> so I really want to, you know, do something else. I I really respect that. And I think that that's part, another kind of hidden element of the coffee crisis that not enough people are talking about. Yes, we're talking about price. We're talking about climate change, but we're not talking about the producers who choose to no longer participate, who are kind of waking up to the system that is really not in their favor. And I think that something that really bothers me is the, the lack of transparency in the efforts, like all of the people that want to save coffee 
are not the mm-hmm. people that are most affected by it. And you so know, I, I saw something. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but no, this is again the the things that that made me crazy. For example, the the I I'm Swiss, right? I'm also Swiss, and I follow the the Swiss embassy here on Facebook. And two years ago, I, I'm seeing how the Swiss are going. The Swiss embassy is going to help Peru do a program to make our production or coffee production more sustainable right they all use that word they're gonna do it sustainable it's like why why just pay us decent prices like the swiss are the ones that are earning the most with coffee trade they're the Mm -hmm. the ones that move the most coffee in the world and they want to help us to be more sustainable by doing like a a government program which is just a booklet in the end so it it was just absurd it's just just pay us decent prices for a coffee and everything's gonna be great (laughs) yeah and i think that what, what is kind of hidden in that language is that what we're making sustainable is a really rotten system of systemic yes. oppression. Yes. And I don't think we should be proud or congratulating ourselves for making this sustainable. Like, it's not a good system. No, it's not a good system. And and I, I personally don't see it changing it uh, very soon, Lucia. No, I don't either. And I think that's why it's a little bit... Um, I don't know, easy for us to have these conversations like this, because I think that coffee's not going to go away, right? Like if, <laughs> if, if Peru stops growing coffee, if all of Peru stops growing coffee and all of a lot of other Central American uh, countries that I work with stop growing coffee, well, then production will move to Indonesia. It'll move to China. Like someone will always be growing. Well, that it. happened with the, with the Roya, right? Um, Peru lost so much of its production, but Brazil was still pumping out so much coffee that the prices still went down. So even though you're like struggling or you're having a bad year, it doesn't mean if Brazil doesn't get like a like a freezing time. How do you say that? Ela <laughs> frost. Uh, yeah, then it's not gonna it's not gonna affect the price, and you're still gonna have to sell your coffee for less. <laughs> I think that's such an important point that we think about you know economics and the market regulating, where if you have less supply then the price will go up and it should mm-hmm. kind of balance out. But because it's so global and there's so many different suppliers to the systems, there's so many different countries that do it. Even if, like you're saying, in Peru, the supply goes down, the price doesn't actually go back up because someone else will fill it and because it's a global. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that kind of protective mechanism that we think of, oh, the market will fix it. Yes. So unless you're going to produce like... The, the most special coffee, the best tasting coffee, or you're going to have the best story because that's what sells, right? Marketing. It's if Unless you're going to have the best story and you're going to invest in that, then it's not really worth producing. You know, this is something else that I was talking to, to somebody about this recently where the story is so important that I think that we are, again, what I don't like is the the disingenuity of saying mm-hmm. we want to help and, and save farmers. So we're going to do the sustainable program. And I'm like, but you're not really helping. Like if you were helping, you would help them get out of coffee completely. So let's just be honest. Like we're, you're helping yourself. <laughs> you're not helping farmers. Yes. But, yes. but along those lines of um, saying that if you have really high quality coffee, so w- what you're saying is it, it is possible to survive. It is possible for like, there are people making a lot of money in coffee and having good reputations. And it just takes a very particular set of skills that not everybody has in terms of marketing and being able to sell yourself. But to say that 
we are asking producers to make the, the, the best, you know, 90 point coffee to make these really interesting, unique lots, grow these very specific varietals. And that's not enough. They can't just make really good coffee. They also have mm-hmm. to be these salespeople and have this brand that I think we're asking producers to have like that extra emotional labor. And then roasters use that story to sell this really good coffee. And it just bothers me that it's not enough to just produce really good coffee, that we have to but, use people's images. But Lucia, it, it's not only on that level, also here, right? So if you have someone that is able to secure a good price for their coffee, like they're able to tell a nice story, then of course they're not going to limit themselves to the coffee they produce. And I see it this I see this again and again and again that somebody's able to, okay, you got this person with this nice charisma and he's able to bring buyers and he's able to move his coffee and sell it for a bigger for a bigger price, but then he's not going to settle with, oh, this is this is the coffee that I produced. And he's going to start buying coffee. And, and this happens again and again. So they bring the, the roasters, they bring the clients, and they show them, yeah, this is our coffee. And it's like two hectares of coffee. But then they have a huge meal. What? Where's the coffee really coming from, right? And that, again, goes with certifications. Like, normally, you just certify six hectares, and then you sell 600 hectares of certified coffee. And nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to check on that. And if the system doesn't force you to be honest, then being honest has no value. <laughs> and and that's, a, that's a problem. That's a problem for me. I love that you said that because I think that, and also like even just examining the system and saying if the system is so large and there's so many players that there's so much um, deceit or just hidden parts of it that we need to create these accountability systems to kind of check ourselves. It's like, why, why is that the answer? Like why we're just constantly like building more things on top of, you know, now we have these certifications to prove that we're being honest, but who's Mm -hmm. checking the certifications if the certifications are being (laughs) honest. And you're, you're like, you're not really getting to the heart of the problem. You're just employing more people who benefit from the system continuing except producers. It's like, it's so wild to me that we're not acknowledging the position that we're putting producers in by producing coffee at all. And we're just so selfish where it's like, I love my cup of coffee. I have to keep the system going. <laughs> uh, but, but at least, at least you're, you're looking into the producers, right? I, I sometimes try to bring conversation to, for example, have you seen the coffee subreddit? No, I'm not on Reddit. Oh, okay. I, it's 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 impossible. They 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 discuss about their twenty five thousand uh, dollars machines, right? The, yeah. Their grinders, they, and they they they're just throwing these numbers. And it's like you pay twenty five thousand dollars for a, an espresso maker, but you think coffee grows like already in a bag? Where? <laughs> and and I put that video that I that I that that you saw that the the one that shows all the steps, right? Yeah. And it got immediately taken off. <laughs> so it's it's impossible to participate on that because it's just so. Wait, controlled. they removed it from Reddit. They removed it from the coffee soup. Like I, I posted it and then it disappeared, and I never got an answer from the mods or anything. So like, why? <laughs> so, oh so, my god! <laughs> yeah, you saw the, the their Vox did a. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on YouTube. They they did a, a video right like this this week I about did see how it. climate it was change. Really good. 
Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, I don't think things are going to change, but well, it was interesting. And somebody posted it on on Reddit on the on the coffee subreddit, and immediately the conversation went again into grinders and people discussing like what burr grinder was better <laughs> and how they should mix. Is uh, it's you know the attitude that is coffee is 95 percent water, so why why should we think about coffee? We should think about water. <laughs> that, that's right, the mindset. and the equipment. Wow, I that that's really interesting, and I'm glad you told me that because I did see that video, and the reason I liked that Vox video is because it it was very succinct in terms of talking about the problem. I thought it was very clear, very easy to understand, and I thought that it would be helpful for people that are not aware of the problem to kind of wake up and and open their eyes. But yes, what you're telling was, me is that it's still not helping. Well, people it, don't want to look. It was in Colombia and. And but I I also see those situations happening here, and I also see myself reflected on on that, on those problems, right? Like I just posted in, in on Instagram um, a photo of just showing how the coffee is flowering right now in August, <laughs> and and I haven't even like picked most of it, and I already know don't know when should I pick the coffee. Like I don't have a harvest time anymore. I should start harvesting like every three weeks. But that's just not not possible. I think that's really hard, too, because a lot of the times uh, it, it makes a really pretty picture. So people just kind of scroll through and say, oh, that's nice. And they don't realize <laughs> like the catastrophic um, climate change that is leading to not having these predictable cycles and predictable seasons of picking and, you know, being able to do your work on the farm. It's just like, oh, that's nice. Flowers and cherries at the same time. Yes. <laughs> Well, I did put a, you know, a smiley with somebody doing the face palm, and I thought this is as far as I go. I also posted a, a photo of my warehouse saying like, oh, it's, it's turning out to be a really bad year again. And then I went like, you know what? No, I'm going to erase it because the, the people in the bank, they also see my, my Instagram. I don't want them to be like suspicious. <laughs> And I think that's really interesting that you don't even feel that you have the the liberty to share what's really going on because there's so many other players that you have to work with that you're concerned about. And yeah. I think that we don't think about that even for me in, in my in my account, we think that everybody has the same level of freedom. So like, you know, anybody can post their lunch or, you know, whatever political views or whatever they want to post on there. And we just mm -hmm. take it for granted that everybody else can too. And so I think we get a warped view of producers who are only sharing the happy parts that you, you really are not just sharing happy parts because it's always happy. It's because you don't feel comfortable sharing the negative parts because there's ramifications. Of course, uh, being frustrated about coffee, having a bad year, thinking about the bank, that's not going to sell. People don't want a bummer. People want to think, oh, it's a very nice, nice place. They they do a lot of effort. They work on their coffee, but it's not. It's, they're not gonna think, oh, maybe I'm I'm paying too little for their coffee. They that's not gonna sell coffee. <laughs> that's true. I think that's people don't want a bummer, and you know, I don't either. I don't enjoy, you know, being. Uh, being upset by what's what's going on in the world. But I think that we need to, I guess, question a little bit more and, and just think about our role in the supply chain. And so I'm thinking a lot more about, you know, what I can do to 
either let people like you tell their story a little bit more. I think about the type of coffee that I'm buying. I think about, you know, what I'm what I'm trying to reshare because I I really like this industry and I don't want it to I don't want it to go away, but I also think that maybe that's what needs to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's like we think of this meritocracy of the strong will survive. And I think mm-hmm. that we need to kind of show people like, okay, like if that's what you think and you don't think anything needs to change, like let's just keep going down this path and let's see where we are in 10 years. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know because I, I obsessively go into um, investing.com, for example, and I say, see the, the market price for coffee. And there's uh, at some point in my harvest that I have to set like, okay, set my market price here and then I get my plus and that's the price I get. So it's very like at the end of the harvest, I have really stress, stress out uh, mornings because the, the, the markets open really early and I have to like be there and I see the comments and people are just like, oh yeah, um, great. It's going down because these are short sellers, right? They're so disconnected. The market, the coffee market is so disconnected with the with the producers or the reality of the of of the coffee business so i i do think that unless we have something like the the financial crisis right so unless we have something that really blows that market away it's still going to work and it's still the way we're going to we're, we're going to have to do business do you have organic certification right now i don't have organic certification and again i I see how much cheating is done with organic that I just, I, I don't want to do organic. I, I, I can't accept it. I'm, I'm not, if I do it, I would do it right. And that would mean the cost would go up and then somebody else comes and this then says, yeah, this is organic and, and we'll sell it for the same price as me. I don't, I don't believe in organic. And my, my client, he says, yeah, it's not really worth doing so how much would it cost you as a producer to get that organic certification? As a single producer, it would cost a lot. I don't have the, the price right now. So what people do is normally uh, cooperativas are certified organic. So they go and certify and then they sell uh, because they can, they certify a lot of members, then they can like negotiate a better price. And maybe spread it out. Yeah. I was under the impression that it was a couple thousand per year to participate it's, and you had to renew it's it every expensive. year. expensive. We used to have rainforest when my, my father was administrating the farm and that was around 2005. And I remember that uh, my parents were selling to a company that would sell to Starbucks, right? And they were getting like five plus on top of the markets. And it cost like $8,000 to have the rainforest certification. So for, for me, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. And then I see other certifications like fair trade or bird friendly, and most of them require that you are uh, like a how do you call it? organization, not just one producer, right? Just like more producers. Uh, I'm wondering if there's any way that we can like wrap up this conversation with anything positive, because I really agree with you. <laughs> I just think that like producers should stop growing coffee, do something else. And if you really want to help the coffee industry and you really, well, no, not the coffee industry. If you really want to help producers, help them find something else to grow. Help them diversify, you know, help them get out. Have an exit strategy. Have like a 10-year exit plan. <laughs> yes. Not keep them chained with new varieties. And when you do drink your coffee, like at least know 
like who produced it and that's the minimum like not who bought it and then resold it or who like the cooperativa and i have to tell you about cooperativas before we go on all positive i i do have to tell you this because it's incredible cooperativas is is sounds great sounds like people getting together and cooperating but that's not the case cooperativas are import, like they are they buy from members but they call members like even for example the one that sells to nestle right here mm -hmm. they they just like force you to become a member and they tell you yeah you can just sell us one bag of coffee a year it doesn't matter but they they buy any coffee and then they call them members and then they're cooperativas <laughs> but they just uh, buyers and sellers they just buy a lot of quantity and then they export so they're just cooperativas by name I think that's that's a really good point in terms of a lot of times, and this is what I'm very sensitive to, is the words that we use and the language. When you mm. use a word like a co-op, you already bring in a flood of like baggage of thinking about a community and thinking about people working together and you're thinking about working for the common good and you just have all of these images. Um, but like you're saying, they're just using these words without any of that backing of that community and yes. taking advantage of kind of our imaginations <laughs> yes and and many times like i i try to export the most coffee i can like all the good coffee and but then i have a lot of second quality coffee and some coffee that didn't make to to the containers right and i have to sell that locally and i always like searching who pays the most and they always go like yeah and hey why don't you become a member we can give you a certification organic certification yeah oh <laughs> yeah it's gonna be much cheaper with us so it, it it's just it's pretty in, on the open on this side of the, of the, I don't know, the production. So you're saying it's used as like a, an incentive. Like if you join us, you can use this, even though you're not doing anything different on your farm, you just get to yeah. use the name yeah. because you're associated with this co-op. Yeah. But of course it doesn't matter if they, they use our name or not. It's, they just want to have decent coffee. Oh man. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's really helpful to hear the perspective from the people that are actually doing it because so often I think what happens is you know for for you producers you have people speaking on your behalf right you have roasters telling your stories you mm -hmm. have importers telling your stories and even when you get a chance to try to tell your story like having your own Instagram it's still very censored it's still very um like it needs to be palatable to everybody else and I get to hear these stories because I work with producers, mm -hmm. but a lot of the times they are nervous to share. And so I think it's really important to get your, you know, your perspective. And I'm not, I'm not trying to tell your story. I just want to let you share your experiences and I want everybody else to hear what I get to hear all the time. <laughs> yeah. Man, and many times, many times when you hear from producers, they're brought by their by their importers, right? They're, they're brought by their importers. And of course, producers are not going to be ungrateful with the people that are giving them a position to speak or to meet uh, roasters. They're not going to say, yeah, okay, well, the price could be better. Of course, they're not going to say that. They're happy to, to you know, be be brought into the spotlight and or, or just to a forefront. So, yeah, many times it's really hard to for roasters to get to, to have real contact with producers. Absolutely. And I've even heard that from when roasters take the time of their own of their own budget and travel to visit the producers that they work with. And, you know, they stay on the farm for a day or two and they get to see picking coffee and see the 
the uh, production. And even then, when there's not necessarily a middleman <laughs> present, the producer, I think, still feels a lot of pressure to present their best face forward and to not share any of the challenges because this is a rare opportunity and you don't want to mess that up, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so even then, you're not getting an honest view. <laughs> no, because they're just visiting, right? So you just you just take them to the nice places and you just, well, this is, this is our coffee comes from here. <laughs> Definitely. So is there anything that we can say that's positive? Is there any? <laughs> we don't have to. I mean, I think that's oh, important I, I want to, I, of course, I, I want to tell you that, right. Like, so I had this experience with the, with the naturals last year. Right. And I have all this coffee in my, in my warehouse that I wasn't able to sell. So I was really down and I was like, I'm not going to do anything this year. And I was just browsing and I saw that that video, that conference of you and on YouTube. It's like, mm, okay, you know what I can do? I can just uh, do my fermentation experiments and I will dry it really fast. And then I'll start seeing what I can do this year. And I've had a really interesting, like my, during this, this, this year's harvest, which hasn't been like very emotionally like good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, a, it's, it's complicated, but something nice, like a, a good aspect of the harvest has been to do with these experiments. And I do it with the, with the guys on the, that work on the mill and they're also excited about it. And it's something nice. And we've, we've been having really cool, interesting like results. That's something, thank you for saying that. That's something that I really like about the alternative processing styles and just these experiments is that they really have an opportunity to give producers a lot more of a role in coffee and a lot more agency in terms of, you know, changing the flavor to something that you like and something that you're interested in. And that's why it really bothers me when competitions are so against, you know, <laughs> additives or they just really don't understand the process. And it just drives me crazy that it's like, you know, roasters can put, milk and sugar and syrups and they can doctor the coffee any way that they want but producers are not allowed to do anything outside of what's accepted it's such a double standard it is but you're going again to the negative side so oh, you have shit, to stay on right. the positive one and the, <laughs> the one is that you've inspired a producer in peru to do his experimentations and that it has brightened the, a little bit the whole you know harvest season <laughs> okay but am I part of the problem where I'm, I'm not letting you get out of coffee faster? Like maybe I'm keeping you thinking, well, I could do coffee a little bit longer. No, because remember that the way to, to have success in coffee is to be weird and special and, and how do you say that? Just pop, pop out, right? Like mm -hmm. be different. So yeah, that's that this goes in that direction and don't worry. I am set to transform this place into a forest and do um hardwoods yeah, yeah no not hardwoods I'm just gonna do the the one the fast ones <laughs> which ones are the, the fast ones pine and eucalyptus okay and then you sell the lumber yes and it doesn't require labor like coffee does right actually oh. that's the way i'm staying afloat i'm 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 cutting down my, my lumber and I'm, I'm using that to keep the coffee afloat. <laughs> That's awesome. I am glad that you were able to bring it around because <laughs> I, <laughs> I wasn't. 
Uh, yeah, well, it's, it, I have to do it for myself uh, every day here. Right. It's like, if you don't laugh, you, you're going to cry. So you just try, <laughs> try your best. Mark, thank you so much for sharing and being so honest. You've really, <laughs> you really gave me a really nice morning being able to talk about this stuff. So I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. Thanks to you for listening to this conversation. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Mark, and I will link his information in the show notes if you want to get in touch with him directly. And thanks to the patrons who make it possible for me to make new episodes. If you want to join our group and influence future episodes, please go to patreon.com slash making coffee. If you see coffee in a different way after listening to these episodes, consider joining the 5% and helping me make more. If you enjoy listening and get value out of these episodes, please share with a friend who loves coffee or wine. And lastly, if you want to be notified when the next episode is coming out and get some resources for each episode, consider subscribing to my free and infrequent newsletter at lucia.coffee. Lucia is L-U-X-I-A dot coffee. Thanks for listening, and remember, life's too short to drink bad coffee.